What's up, everybody? How you doing? Welcome back to another episode of Living Life Intently. I'm Lee Frazier, and uh, I'm here with Jonathan Canary. Yeah, we're back. And I hope you guys liked last week's episode with, with Angelo. It was pretty fun hanging out at the shop, eh? Getting to know him again. Yeah. Again. <laughs> again yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, uh, that was really, really fun. Yeah, I love Angelo. Yeah, so if you're ever uh, in Cape Breton, drive down the trail, stop into North River Kayaks, man, even just to say hi and hang out. He's, he loves the chat, and uh, he's got a really cool spot. Um overlooking the water there in North North River. Um, but yeah, before we jump into the podcast, just want to tell you all about um, a couple events that we have coming up. Uh, we have Butts and Boats Festival, which is coming up in the start of June. That is a all-ages paddling festival. We will be doing the Marguerite River on Saturday and uh, Middle River on Sunday. Uh, Night of Adventure, actually, Dave Green is going to be down doing a... Um, um, I guess like a satellite night of adventure down at our, our spot in Marguerite at the campground, uh, campings, uh, included in the rate. If you want to have a, a look, head to the website, it's just on the main page. And then we have our annual barbecue with, uh, Brian Picard from the bite house that is on July 1st with, uh, baloney, Colorado. Yeah. Blues group from Halifax. So looking forward to those events. And then later in the summer, we have Island Sauce Co. in for their annual barbecue. Uh, we'll be releasing details on that soon. But we are in Anaganish right now. Let's jump right <laughs> in. Let's just jump right in there. Okay, cool. Yeah, we're going to jump in, in there, buddy. Yeah, okay. Well, you're cutting me off. On All the right, we're jumping in. Cove, Gisborne, and Shady Camp. And they all kind of are sort of linked and dammed together to feed down into Rec Cove Hydro Station. And uh and so there's a lot of those rivers have a lot of canyons, a lot of white water. Right. Um, like Shady Camp was a lot of class four, big waterfalls. We were in when we were looking at the uh the meters the other day. Well, the tangent, right? Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, it's good. See, it's good. Anyways, yeah. So we're going on this multi-day trip. So we blocked out four days. It might take three. I don't. I, I have no idea, right? Until right. we get in there, we might have to hike twenty k. Well, last year we'd hike twenty k to the river, but this is a good visit, though. If you uh, happen to need to like park your boat in one spot on that river, yeah. This is <laughs> this this is a really good interview. Who do we have with us today? Uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. I'm Greg Linton. I'm uh, one of the original founders and owners of Tightline Anchor Incorporated. Mm -hmm. And uh, we build anchors for kayaks, canoes, other small paddle boards, or sorry, other small um, personal watercraft, such as paddle boards, um, sea dews, jet skis. And uh, living here in Antigonish and loving the East Coast. I'm originally from Ontario. Yeah. And uh, we moved here about four years ago for me to go back to school, back to university and graduating uh, at St. Effects this year and next week, I guess. And yeah, just uh, loving, loving Nova Scotia. What did you take in school? I was taking business. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I did an advanced major in management and leadership and uh, did a minor in psych. Cool. Um, yeah, definitely never saw myself going back to school. That's for sure. Because <laughs> you, you look like you're around my age, right? Or our age. 30, yeah, I'm 30. Like, yeah, 37. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Basically the exact same age. Although like the documentary I put in the intro, I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, it says, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it took 38 years for me to paddle the Marguerite River. I did it when I was 35. <laughs> and I'm 37 now, right? 
Um, but yeah, it's similar age. Um, yeah. and that was going to be one of my first questions was, you know, are you from Andy Ganesh? But, um, no, I'm not. not. Uh, my wife, Amy, uh, Amy McDonald is from here originally and her parents are still here. So it's been great, uh, moving back here with the kids and lots of time with grandparents and during COVID when couldn't go anywhere, you know, it was, it was awesome to, uh, to be here and away from, you know, the busy, busy parts of Ontario <laughs> that, uh, you know, I, it's my home, but, uh, I feel like this is my home now too. So are you guys staying out here? Uh, it's hard to say. I'm actually, um, I'm in the air force yep. and, uh, I'm going to be going to Shearwater here for about a year before I get course loaded. And then after that we'll be posted somewhere. Gotcha. Um, but the intent is to keep roots here in Nova Scotia, whether go away for a couple of years and come back. Um, yep. I think this is where we want to be. So it was funny when uh, I was, I was texting him about this stuff. He's like, uh, are you, uh, you put like calf in it, right? CF. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, what the hell is calf? And yeah. he goes, well, that answers my question basically for you. Um, uh, basically army. Oh, Ask okay. me if I was military. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I was saying Raj in a bunch of terms. Right. But no. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, tell us about the anchor. Yeah. Um, so you have one anchor or multiple anchors? Actually, um, well, multiple. But we only have one that's on the market right now, and we have another one that we're going to be releasing here shortly. We're still in yep. the trial phase. When we started our business, it wasn't actually supposed to be a business. It was just a buddy, uh, Thomas Langton, um, and myself, and just trying to build a better anchor for a big boat that was uh, a big work boat down in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tom had built out this big grapnel anchor and tried it. And the owner of the boat was really happy with it, but it took up a lot of space on board. Yeah. So uh, he sent me some ideas and some sketches up and uh, I machined up some different parts to basically build the same anchor, but make it collapsible. So is that where your trade is at doing machining and stuff? Yeah. So when I, um, when I was in high school, I was doing co-op as a, as a machinist. Ah, And then uh, I went to Conestoga college for tool and die. And then in 2008, when you could see that uh, the big crash was coming, actually, sorry, it was in 2007, um, the company that I was working for in Cambridge, Ontario, started losing a lot of their contracts for Chrysler and such. Yeah. And it was sort of forecasting that that big crash was going to come in, in 08. And uh, I'd always thought that I wanted to be in the military. So I thought this is a good opportunity. So that's when I, I joined the army in 2007. Um, but I had had a few years of uh, machining and tool and die experience prior. Gotcha. Yeah. And gotcha. my business partner, Thomas, um, he's, uh, he's been, he's, he's about 15 years older than me, I guess, but um, he's big into the hot rods and motorcycles and such. So he's, uh, he's got a big fabricating background as well. And we just became buddies. Uh, we met up, up in uh, Petawawa, Ontario when I was posted there. Oh, sure. Um, and kind of became buddies over motorcycles. And so when he moved down south um, to Texas with his wife, um, he uh, that's when he met the, these guys in Louisiana with the boat. And that's kind of, that's how it kind of all started. It's really <laughs> convoluted, but like we didn't, we didn't wake up and say, Hey, like let's start a business together and build anchors. It was like building one anchor. And, um, so we got a lot of feedback from that anchor and people liked it and had some interest from, from some other people that were interested in, uh, investing to get us going in, in that way. And, um, Tom and I are 
kind of anal and perfectionist with building stuff. Yeah. And we wanted to build, you know, the anchor that we want, not the anchor that's maybe the most practical to sell as far as like cost of material and time to manufacture. Yep. But we want to have like, you know, the Cadillac or the, you know, the Ferrari of anchors or the Ferrari of anything that we build. We, we want to make it, you know, tight and good and last for a long time and perform well. And, uh, so we weren't really ready at that time to go down the road and market what we, um, what we had built at that point. We wanted to do some more refinement and testing. And so we kind of shelved it for a while and Tom was seeing the kayak fishing market in the, in the Southern States really starting to blow up. And he said, Greg, have you seen these guys with the, um, with the fishing kayaks? And I said, I have, but not like not a ton of them or, you know, or anything like that. And this is back in 2015, 16. And I said, well, what if we scale, you know, our big anchor down so that we can market it to the paddle sports industry where our cost to manufacture is a lot lower. It's more manageable for us to do it. Um, you know, basically out of a garage versus trying to build these bigger anchors and needing like heavy equipment and, and stuff to do it. So all that to say is we went through about seven different designs of our small anchor, which only weighed 14 ounces. So it weighs less than a can of beer. And we marketed it towards that, um, expanding, uh, kayak fishing market. Crazy. And so, yeah, so we went down to ICAST in Florida, which is the world's biggest, uh, fishing show. And, uh, we met some people down there. We bought a booth. We had no money to do it. <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> people came around and they're like, Hey, this is awesome. Like, we've never heard of you guys before. Like they really look, we got a lot of good feedback from the product, like on the product and, and the style and, you know, the, um, perceived, um, the perceived functionality of the anchor. Yeah. And so we said, okay, let's, let's do this. So we came back from Florida and got a bank loan and opened up, uh, like registered a business and started making these small anchors in Trenton, Ontario. Were you making them in a, making them yourself? Yeah. So we were, we made a lot of the first ones ourselves. And then we, we were, um, trying to, you know, streamline the process. So we started using a couple different subcontractors and then we were adding in like the color coding options and stuff. So we were actually using like a firearms coding, uh, Cerakote. to get the different colors. And again, it was kind of like, um, a real differentiator because nobody that we could see was, had any sort of colors on their anchors, but these, um, these, uh, you know, these paddle sports enthusiasts, they like to have all their gear matches up and stuff. So we're like, (laughs) yeah. So then we ended up with like way too many damn colors. And it was just like, this is getting out of control because we'd have like a ton of anchors in hand, but none of the ones that you know, people wanted, they wanted the red one and we only had green and blue and orange and everything but red. Yeah. So then we, yeah, uh, so it was just a lot of lessons learned. Um, but over the last few years, a lot of these boats have gotten significantly bigger and people are running like, um, you know, motors on them now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, tons of rods, tons of gear, yeah, all that stuff. So we were, the 14 ounce anchor is like the anchor that you'd want to take in your backpack. Um, if you're going to portage like 20, you know, 20, uh, miles into the bush or something. Right. Uh, or maybe you don't take an anchor at all because you don't want to have to carry it. But that was the intent with that little light guy was that, you know, you could portage with it, you can take it. And it's really at the end of the day, it's an integral piece of safety gear. 
Um, it's like breaks for your boat, right? The wind picks up, you get an injury, your paddle falls over overboard or something like you're just going to drift around and become a victim or you want to anchor yourself and try to reset and figure out, you know, what the next step is. But, um, with the boats getting heavier and then other people like with 12 foot John boats and sea dews and stuff approaching us like, Hey, will this hold our boat? It's like, well, potentially, but we haven't really, we didn't design it or test it to do that. So we then kind of went in reverse order and we scaled our little 14 ounce anchor up to the three and a half pound anchor, which is our primary anchor that we're selling now. Nice. So uh, is that this one here? Yeah, that's that one. Yeah. Okay. So and the other one was smaller than this. And yes. Bring it over. Yeah. Ooh, I don't want to drop it on the table. Oh man, you could tune someone up with this thing, eh? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's got the uh, DNFW uh, tattooed on its forehead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to swear, so you guys can try I to figure like that, that one out. Yeah, I like that. You kind of got to be, uh, I mean, I, I would have thought that you guys came from more of a fishing. Oh, like that side of that, that kind of world, like the fishing background. Yep. Rather than the one that you, that, cause I was surprised when you said it, like machining. That's, I mean, it makes sense now that I'm looking at it, but, uh, but I, I figured that that's where you, you guys kind of took your inspiration from, from like a gap in the market there. Um, I mean, what you did eventually, but I did, I figured that you guys were just big fishermen, right? And then you just built something you wanted to use. This thing is awesome. Thank you. Yeah. We're, we are definitely outdoor enthusiasts and fishermen for sure. But it was never like I was never fishing out of a kayak until I got into the anchor business, which is crazy <laughs> because I got invited to um, a kayak finish, fishing tournament in uh, it was in Petawawa. And they said, hey, like, do you want to come and fish with us? And hey, do you want to donate an anchor for the raffle? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And so I got there and like I literally never sat in a kayak to fish before. And... <laughs> I was like, this is cool. But yeah, we were building anchors for it. <laughs> I mean, that's that's my thing. Straight into the fire, right? Yeah. But we had a lot of people that helped us out in the beginning. There's, uh, We had a couple really early adopters that like we just, you know, we, we had no idea really what we were doing with business whatsoever. So we had a, a Facebook page and a, an Instagram page or whatever and um, put it up there for sale. And we had a, a gentleman from Germany, uh, Dennis Kizzelhorst. He was like one of our very early on, um, adopters and he bought one. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm huge into paddle sports. I, you know, I'm always looking for the newest gear and he bought one. We shipped it to him and he loved it. And he's been like a huge advocate for us, um, all the way along. And then several different people in Ontario that, um, were from the KAO kayak group. Uh, they bought, they bought anchors from us gave us some more feedback and we did some more tweaking and, and such like as we were producing. And that's the great thing about being in small businesses where the boss, we can, we can make our changes, right? It, it doesn't have to go through, yeah. you know, all the bureaucracy of trying to make a change. So there, there's been an evolution. We call it like anchor evolution because we get feedback. And if we get enough of the same kind of feedback, then we make changes and, um, yeah, you know, that's, that's what we like to do. So someday you'll have a museum in Germany of all of your <laughs> anchors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. So how big was the first one? Like much bigger than this then? Yeah. The first one, um, it's about probably three and a half feet tall. Oh, um, big one. Holy yeah. Shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a big, a big guy. 
Um, and so, yeah, it was kind of funny cause we went from that and actually when we're done here, I'll, I'll show you some of the other prototypes of the original collapsing anchors that we built as well. They're cool. out in the shop here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just, you know, it's kind of a, like a labor of love. It wasn't anything to do with business at all. It was just trying to build something cool. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's kind of the key part in it, right? That's pretty much all that, all that I'm doing with what we're doing, like this, doing these podcasts, doing all the stuff and all the tours that we do. Um, and building the campground, it's just kind of creating something fun that other people kind of align themselves with. And then I just keep going down that road. Who knows? Like next year that might end and then it might be different. I might shift, do something else. But yeah, it's been just been fun being able to kind of see something and, and you work towards it and then people like it and then you go, oh, okay, well, we got to improve that. So it's all about streamlining it and improving the process, improving the experience and obviously improving the product. But I know this sounds like... um super weird i i don't know how to describe it any other way than this but like it feels very real do you know what i mean like it it is like like really robust and i like this where each of these what do you call these arms or legs or yeah the arms yeah how they collapse onto one side of this divot yeah you know yeah and so the point is like tucked right in there yeah that's so cool and because you could have gone the other way with it and sandwiched it like this yep but yeah yeah we spent a lot of nights uh head scratching and and uh <laughs> i'm like know. so amazed at yeah. this thing. i'm just, just trying to get the geometry right so so that when it folds up and when it folds open that the angles here on the brake spades we call these parts the brake spades here yep that that's actually engaging with the bottom at the right angle. Yeah. And a lot of it was just through trial and error because I don't have any like CAD skills really. Like I can, I can run CNC equipment with a program, but I I don't have, um, you know, any real background in, in proper design. It's a lot of like beer boxes get cut up and, Dude, you can only have so many skills yeah. and so many different things. That's right. right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Listen, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm horrible at not realizing that, and I catch myself halfway through, right? Yeah. So I try to do too many things, and I'm like, oh, I can do that. Yeah, I can. But then you're like a rabbit hole for like two weeks yeah. down trying to learn it, and you're like, you know what? I probably should have just spent that time. Yeah. It's the value of that time. I should have just taken that and given somebody knew what they were doing. And I think, unfortunately, <laughs> you probably can't outsource this skill on Fiverr. So. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Like, hey, can you guys test a bunch of anchors for us? Um, so i'm assuming your biggest market's in the states yes it is for sure yeah like over 90 percent of our sales are to the states yeah and i think that uh with the with the right marketing and and getting the anchors um into europe in some reasonably you know cost effective way that could also be a huge market for us as well man just find a factory and outsource it there yeah. And then you get the manufacturers over there. I mean, you're probably already doing that. But yeah, like I'm not saying Nova Scotia will be like the next big market, but uh like there's so many people here that I, I from what I'm seeing, not because I'm I'm big into uh the fishing world, I'm kind of like there, but I'm not a, that's not my main thing. My main thing is like hiking stuff and outdoor paddling, like whitewater trips right now. But um I can see this in in there's the potential of, of this being more of a like the fishing paddleboard kayak fishing stuff being a little bit bigger here because you know where i grew up on the mercury river salmon fishing river generally 
right? Generally, people just drive around, and that's what everybody's been doing. You just drive to pool, to pool, to pool, to pool. Most of the pools in the river you can access pretty easily. Um, it just takes time to get in there. So there's a lot of in-betweens. There's like the main sections by the bridges and the easy accessible pools that are always filled. Like in the summertime, there might, it might take you an hour and a half to get a pass through the river. So I don't know if you know the kind of like gentleman's rules of the Marguerite River and fly fishing and stuff, right? No. So uh, there's a lineup. So if you get to a pool, first person in the pool uh, to the pool gets first pass. So you basically work your way from the top of the pool down to the bottom. And every cast or every two casts, you're supposed to take a step and work your way through. And then guys will get in the rotation. So sometimes if you don't get there early enough and there's like 10 guys there, well, it might take an hour to get one pass through that pool. Right. So everybody's having coffee and having drinks or whatever and socializing. It's more of a social thing. However, like a couple of years ago when, when we did this film that I was talking about early, earlier on, um, that was like a big canoe trip. And we fished uh, because the bottom half of the river, you can fish it. And we picked up all of our fishing gear. And uh, we jumped pool to pool to pool. And through that year, I met a guy that comes down with a pack raft. It's not the ones that we use on the river. It's more of a fishing, set up for fishing, rowboat style, where you can stand up in the middle and he's got to drop anchor and all this stuff, right? And he would, I would shuttle him around the river. Every okay. morning, I'd go yeah. up to one spot. He would drop his truck down below and he'd just spend the day fishing all these holes because nobody was at these holes. Everybody's right. at the main ones. And so I've been slowly, you know, trying to talk some of the guys, some of the guides. I'm like, why don't you guys just, you know, we'll take care of your shuttles, man. And we'll just help you guys take people out on the river all day. Yeah. And, and with the river, how would it, like, especially this year, uh, we paddled a big section of it a couple of weeks ago, the first day of fishing season. And the Marguerite River specifically changes so much because it goes through interval land. So banks will wash out, pools will fill in. Every year it's different. You have to be on the river. That's the value of hiring a guide in the area because the pools change so much, right? right. And then there's one of the main pools, which used to be where we would finish our tubing run at Doyle's Bridge. Uh, it used to be this big stone beach, and that's completely gone. Uh, and when... I got emailed to the link up to do this podcast and this anchor. I'm like, that's the first thing that came to my mind. I'm like, now you can wade out. You could take a boat and get out, you know, hundred feet off or not hundred feet, but uh, like 50 feet in the middle of the river and still fish that pool. Nobody else is going to be able to fish that pool this year. Right. Because there's no bank. There's no beach. You can't walk out. It's too deep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So stuff like this, uh, I see being, you know, the more people get introduced to it, the, the more possibility there is here in the East coast. And that's one river out of, how yeah. Many? And for the river, actually, uh, if, uh, if you got a second here, I'll just run out to the garage. I'll bring in the actual river anchor that we, uh, we're about to launch. We just finished the patent pending on it. Let's do it. Yeah. Just give me a second here. I'll go grab it. Yeah. Quick intermission. <laughs> <laughs> was it rambling there? Uh, you, no, yeah, I was telling a story. A little, a little fucking ramble. I was telling was a story. A I was telling a story. I was just like, when is he going to bring it back to the anchor? <laughs> Where the fuck are you going? I'm looping there. I'm looping there. I'm taking my time. Taking my damn time. I love this thing. But... You could use that as a weapon. You put, a, put a rope on it and swing that. It's like I one of those. Like I could use it as a grappling hook. Oh, that too. Yeah, you'd be like a ninja <laughs> thing. Whoa, what the fuck what is, is that? here? <laughs> Dude, it looks like an octopus. Yeah, it's something you can take uh, upstairs to when you go to bed. If you... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Um, okay, so like you said there about the States, the States is a huge market for us, of course. 
but there's a lot of people that fish in rivers yep. in the States. Um, and so an anchor, um, like the K five there, that's the orange one. It can be great in the river if you want to stay in one spot, but if the river's moving really quickly and you just want to slow yourself down, you don't want to actually stay in one spot. Then what people are doing is using, um, like a drag chain. So it looks similar to this, Gotcha. Yeah. but there is no, there, there is no, um, commercially available drag chain. It's all just DIY stuff, which is fine. Um, but there's a couple issues with the drag chain. So it's obviously really loud and fish don't like noise. Right. So you get, so what people will do is, um, they'll take a bicycle inner tube yeah, and they'll pull the chain through the inner tube to silence the chain. The problem with that is then you're going to get pollution and stuff in your, in your waterways, right? Because the rubber's chipping off on rocks and, yeah. and such. And then it also fills up with water on the inside and you've got, um, you know, steel chain that then starts to rust and corrode and you get all the gunky river crap in there and it, yeah. you bring it into your hull and then you got a big mess all, everywhere. Right. So, um, we had a couple different shops that we sell the K five to. They're like, why don't you guys just do us up some drag chains and we'll, we'll sell those like make like a premium drag chain. Right. And so, um, we went out and bought some chain and started messing around with some stuff and trying to figure out, you know, what, what we could do. Um, and I was thinking, you know what, let's make it out of stainless steel braided cable. It's quiet. doesn't make any noise. It's not going to corrode. It's not going to hold crap and stuff off the bottom. Yeah. And, uh, you can put swivel up front here again, so it can kind of snake its way through. So can I see it? Yeah, of course. <clears throat> it just looks like an octopus. Yeah. A little squid. Like a squid. Yeah. We were, we we're kind of kicking around the, uh, the idea of different names to call it and the squid kind of, yeah. So that's one of the first prototypes. Um, we've reached out to a couple different people that were again, early d adopters of our products in the past. So, yeah. Hey, can you guys give this a try? And, uh, we got lots of good feedback and made again, made another few changes again. And, um, we're actually producing one that's about half that weight right now. Yeah. Um, probably be done on Tuesday Cool. and we're going to send those out to our, um, to our team to give a try and, and see what they, they think and, you know, weight and yeah. dimensions and all that kind of stuff. Cause there's a lot of variables, both in weight and length and the amount of friction it's going to put on the bottom. And then also, you know, if you use a, a smaller cable, then it'd be more um, flexible, yeah. right? So the idea with this is, depending on the speed of the water, you could you could run it so that you have you know just these um, just these kind of sweeping the bottom like a corn broom. Yeah. yeah. If it's you know pretty slow, or if it's really fast, you just more and more, and then you got twenty or thirty feet of road out behind you and this would probably actually even stop you. So it's kind of the idea of like not getting hooked on anything, just yeah. slowing you down. You can control your, your speed, right? Nice. Fish, fish. I would think to. that the braid, like, I mean, I don't know how, how much of an issue this is, but I would think that the braided cable would do less damage to the bottom of the river as yes. well. Um, as opposed to having the chain dragging through it. Right. Yeah, and you got all these pieces too. Like even with the um, even with the uh, inner tube on the outside, it kind of follows the chain. So then you've got all these little spots that are prone to get hung up on rocks, right? Yeah, which can be dangerous, of course. And and it's just you know you want to go out and fish. You don't want to get hung up on a on a stump. But at the same time, you can't fish unless you can slow yourself down. So That's right. 
you know, there's no, I don't think there's any perfect anchoring solution for anything. It's no. just, it's so subjective. Um, yeah. you know, the big, the biggest thing that we find is people don't understand, um, road ratio and having enough, uh, anchor line out for mm-hmm. the depth of water that they're trying to fish in. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you know, common sense says you can't anchor, you know, with nine feet of rope and 10 feet of water. It's just not going to work. It's like your math on your, how long you've been trying to do your thing. Right. Yeah, but yeah. it's like, you know, you get a call from somebody and, um, like, yeah, anchor's not working. It's like, okay, well, how much rope do you have? Well, like 50 feet of rope. Okay, cool. That's good. How deep are you? You know, how deep of water are you in? It's like, well, like 42 feet, but the anchor is not allowed to it's not being able to tip over and yep. lay down yep. and do its job right it's just kind of you know there, hanging there bouncing around exactly yeah so that yeah. that's you know regardless of what anchor anybody uses we always try to tell people like use like have more rope than you think you need yeah and um you want to have like a stretchy rope as well so that it acts like a shock absorber between whatever the anchor's hooked to on the bottom and also your hull on your boat so you're not causing damage to your hull yeah. And you're not, uh, you know, reefing on that anchor. You can tow a truck around with that anchor. Um, maybe we'll put a disclaimer in there that says, no, don't do that. <laughs> but, but those rivets, like uh, the hinge rivets on that K5 there, they're good for, I think, 24, 2600 pounds for shear strength. So you're not going to, you're not going to wreck that. But um, when you're reefing on the anchor, if there's not enough shock absorption there, then yeah. the anchor is more prone to get um, jolted out of whatever the yeah. bottom is. Yeah. Right. So yeah, that, I mean, that's the anchor tip of the day, I guess. Listen Use lots of rope. I love that. <laughs> you know, that should be a segment anchor tip of the day. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, man, I'm just, uh, I just, I was thinking about this on the drive up. I'm like, I wonder where I could use this. Can we, can we get day. one made of like, um, like aluminum or something and just call it Canary's grappling hook? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. You'd be, you'd be cave diving, man. That's what you'd be doing. Go you'd, spelunking with you'd it. Spelunk, that's what I meant. Spelunking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You'd be going down in the ferry hole. He won't be swimming anymore. He'd be that's down. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny. Like I was at, um, home sense or whatever those places are you go because yeah, you're yeah. told you're going. Yeah. You know? <laughs> anyway, I was in there and I was looking at like the price of like, you know, art, like artwork or whatever, like bowls mm-hmm. and random nonsense that's made out of metal that like, you know, everybody that shops at those stores and like you go to your friend's house and they all have the same like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I was like, you know what? Like the price of that, like people should just buy this and put it on their mantle. You know what I mean? It's just something that, nice to look at. Yeah, you found yourself right. a new market. Just get on Etsy. Yeah, exactly. That's it. You just do anchor. Decor- yeah. decorative, anchor. decorative anchor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Christmas and do Christmas ones. Yeah. Right. Well, Christmas so what, colors. So what's the price point to something like this? Uh, so we're all because of, uh, our market, our main markets in the U S it's mm-hmm. all based off U S dollars. So we sell them for one twenty U S and yeah. it, so it fluctuates, uh, here in Canada, but it's around like 150 now. Yeah. Um, now see, I would have thought it would like looking at it and feeling it and seeing the quality of it. I would have guessed twice that price. Yeah. So that's fucking pretty good. We'll Ooh, see. You let it slip. <laughs> I let a little F where it's left. Oh buddy. That's First good. time. Yeah, I appreciate that. And that's the hard part, right? Is running an e-commerce business. Like people don't get to put it in their hands. So like how do you tell them yeah. about the value yeah. 
and the quality of it without being able to put your hands on it, right? Yeah, oh. it's kind of hard. It's real hard. I mean, I don't like that. That was the thing with us trying to sell. Uh, like in the summer times, that's that's our business, right? From from now until October and. And selling products in shop is great. Like we do just, you know, merchandising hats and we were talking about earlier, right? And I like to have quality over quantity. I'd rather go to, um, like I said, I have these fishing hats that we've we originally had. We couldn't get them two years because I want to use the exact same blanks. And I'm trying to get my hands on them and uh, uh, stock was an issue and then shipping and then, you know, then the summer's over, right? So this year we bought it, but um, trying to convey uh, that to a lot of other people, like I take a hit on... Uh, profit margins, any margins whatsoever to have a quality product. So all of our clothing is made in Turo by Stanfields. And then our hats are all a certain blank that took me six months to find. And I like yeah. the blank. Um, I was going in shops or going online distributors, call, like ordering in, you know, hat here, a hat there until I found something I really liked. But once you start, I find once you start going and, and people start talking about it, um, then that word of mouth is 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 pretty much everything. So it takes a while to get the uptick, and then once it starts rolling, man, to keep that momentum going. But yeah, it's the biggest thing with e-commerce too. And it's there's so many different people and brands and companies all trying to do the same shit, and then all these people trying to do drop marketing or drop shipping stuff and outsourcing to wherever making their product look like this product, but it might be made out of real cheap steel aluminum yeah. whatever that would bend and break and sell it for twice as much and people buy it and you're like how why why does yeah. this work i mean this is like the most robust well-engineered piece of gear i've had my hands on in a long time you sure yeah <laughs> you can you can I'm, use that as a testimonial. I'm, I was trying to make a joke, but I couldn't think. <laughs> you of can use that on a testimonial. <laughs> I you know, a ju- uh, canary living life intently podcast. I love it. <laughs> I so love it. Have you been to many of the trade shows? You went in the states. Have you been to any other kind of trade shows selling this product over the years? How, how many? Well, actually, how many years has it been since you started this? So officially, it would be 2016, but that was with the 14 ounce anchor. And then we had, uh, we were doing that for a couple of years. And then, uh, just before I moved out here, um, is when we committed to going to the three and a half pound anchor and, uh, crazy, um, Trump's when Trump came into office and you put the, the tariffs on steel, every anchor we made for eight or nine months, we were losing money on, um, because yeah. And it's like, we're already invested this far. It's like, what do we do? Right. So, uh, we had to figure out our manufacturing process and, and get the price point for manufacturing down so that we could just survive. And so that was going well. And, um, when COVID happened, uh, that, you know, things were good for us. We had, we had some stock and we started getting the momentum and with our new manufacturing process, the quality of the product, like the fit and finish of it actually even improved mm-hmm. um, from what we were doing before. So like everything looked like it was going in the right direction. And then all of a sudden um, supply chain stuff from COVID caught up to us last year. Um, sort of when we thought like we were way out of the woods, right, you were in the that's when it came and like thumped us right in the back of the head. And uh, So we had a pretty hard year last year because we ran out of stock early on. And then it was a lot of stress of like knowing when we're going to get our stuff. And, and then we had some, um, quality control issues that 
we, um, you know, the fit, uh, sorry, the functionality of the anchor would have been fine and the quality of the materials was fine, but the, the workmanship was not to the standard. Mm-hmm. And it was really tough because we had anchors that we could sell technically, but Tom and, uh, and I were just like, no, we're not gonna, we're not, we've worked too hard and, and, uh, come too far to, you know, ruin our reputation at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So we had to wait again to get more materials, more products. And, uh, anyway, <laughs> going down like kind of doom and gloom road now. I can feel my, I can feel my, uh, my energy like <laughs> going down. So anyway, we're good. We're good now. But I mean, we're that's good. like part of the story of, a, of, of your business, you know, like I think that's a really valuable thing is like things aren't always peachy and no. seldom are. Yes, that's right. Yeah. There's a lot of people that are like, they're like, Oh, you're a business owner. Like you must be rich. And what I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm poor. <laughs> I put all my money into my business. No, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not an easy thing. And like knowing what I know about business now, if I wanted to make money quicker, like, um, you know, not necessarily make money, but like, just like sustain my quality of, of life, I'd probably get into something more like service industry or like, you know, like the food trucks and stuff like that. Cause like trying to build a brand that nobody's heard of and a product that nobody's heard of and the product's three times more expensive than, you know, our, our closest competition. It's like, you guys are mental. Like what are you, like, what are you, what are you trying to do yeah, anyway? Yeah. So it's a lot of lessons learned, but I, lo- I love it. And well, it's uh, also like, I think doing from my experience is kind of like setting, um, setting a price point that, that makes sense for you, uh, and, and, and the product, obviously, you know, that, that the price point is, it's not like you're doing a 400% markup, but, um, it's same deal. It's like, how do you figure out that? Is it too high? And there's always that doubt, right? So for me as a pricing out, like tours, like big tours and trips, like he can say, like when I'm sitting there looking, looking at the budget, and pricing it out based off of what I, I would like to pay guides. Um, and then all the associated costs. Like I, I, I like to have a certain standard when it comes to anything that you do with us as far as like the multi-day trips, right? I want top of the line gear. You have to be using the best. This is not like I don't go to Amazon and buy a $100 winter tent, right? Yeah. We buy like a $1,500 like Everest style tent that's not going to blow away and fall down. And all the kit, we supply everything because I want people to... Um, you know, be able to have that experience with the quality of gear yeah. that you should have rather than uh, buying an a, um, inferior product and then having a horrible experience. I mean, it's even down to the apparel. Oh, that, you know, yeah, like yeah. It, the Stanfield's apparel versus going out and buying Fruit of the Loom or Yeah, well, listen, whatever. we, we started like, with, with A-Style, right? I have a competitor yeah. to Gildan. But after, as soon as I found out that we could get a locally manufactured like Intro factory and they were willing to do small orders for us, then I just totally switched. And then you pay a little bit more, but um, the product's a better product. Yeah, and, like the quality is exceptional. Yeah, so for me, for pricing, it was just always like, uh, it's like, you look at the end product. It's like, this is say for our winter trip, right? Um, we tested it out one year and then I started sitting down looking at pricing it out proper. And I come with like 2,400 bucks for like a week, but it's like backcountry winter, the gear associated, the guide fees, permits, like all the, that whole product. And then with a little, a little bit of like wiggle room and margin on the top. Right. And you're looking at that and you're going, "I, I don't know, man, this is would, 
if I put that out there, is people going to rip me apart for, but that's the price. And then like, you know, I, I talked to Canary and I talked to other people and, and they're like, no man, just that, if that's what it costs, that's what it costs. Yeah. So definitely. Then, then you get like the fear for a small business too, is like, you know, you want somebody to buy that product or service or whatever it is. Um, but you, some people tend to, uh, undercut themselves just to sell. Right? Yes. Yeah. And and that's kind of like, I've got stuck out a couple of times doing it where put on a great event, there might've been 10 people there or, you know, do a guided trip and they might've been full. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I lost like, you know, a thousand bucks. Yeah. How can you see, you can't run a business like that. So, um, you know, there's a lot of lessons learned in, in that sense. So I think like leading, leading out of the gate and doing it proper. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, then move on to the next project. But that's kind of my, uh, what I've kind of learned. So, um, so other than the anchors, do you have any other products that you sell? Yeah. So we, we have a bit of a, a, a partnership with the anchor wizard. So they're like an anchor management uh, company, so they have like a real system. An anchor, a, management? anchor management. Yeah, no so, shit. Oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So they basically they have a real system uh, that's clutched, and then they've got a chute that'll mount onto the onto the back or the the like the bow or the stern of your boat. Yeah. And basically, oh. it, it will accept the uh, it'll accept the anchor, and then you just oh man, yeah. oh, okay. Now I know. I thought you meant like a manager for anchor companies. No, like, no, no. No, 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 it's to manage that physical anchor. Yeah. It makes more sense now. Yeah. 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 Well, I was thinking when you're talking about your pricing there, it's like, you know, if you go out and you have, uh, you know, you have an awesome time for a week and it costs you 2,400 bucks and you come home with like all your digits because you didn't freeze them off, you know, that's a, that's a good, that's a good cheap, you know, week away (laughs) versus coming back and hanging out in the hospital and amputations right (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. anyway yeah yeah that hasn't happened yet or your or your anchor breaking and you drifting out to the ocean yeah that's right yeah well that's the thing is like well and it comes down to you're talking about quality um and longevity of the product like everything we're buying now or i I shouldn't say everything but so many things we buy is got like planned obsolescence built into it yeah so that you got to keep buying the same thing again right like who wants to go and buy you know, an anchor every year because the arms break off because they're put together with crappy rivets, right? Yeah. Or, One of the biggest things I took from growing up, the takeaway, I, and I, I preach this all the time. So when we're growing up, uh, my dad, whenever I go buy something, right, would it be DJ gear or music equipment? I would, I'd look and I'd go, oh, I'm just going to buy this, this, you know, say, DJ equipment, right? To use that as an example, turntables. Oh, this um, Gemini system, it's like 500 bucks. I get two turntables, I get a mixer. And he goes, is that is that the best you can get? I go, no, it's a pretty like entry level setup. He's like, just save your money, buy the best you can get because that stuff will last you. You'll end up replacing it. And, and it was like, I didn't listen to him, right? And I remember mm-hmm. that time I did, I went to Sydney. I bought a Gemini XL100 setup. The worst turntables for DJing you can buy. Right. Cheapest, but um, yeah, horrible. Broke, I ended up uh, spending like 1200 bucks. Next year, bought the top of the line. Um, techniques and i still have them nice like today that was when i was 14 is that the 1200 1200 yeah sweet yeah i had them powder coated fixed up powder coated with red leds on them now so they're in a flight case at home i haven't used them in years but but yeah no it's about buying quality right um and that's the kind of thing where when i look at buying anything whether it's uh equipment came in equipment gear whatever i'll buy 
the best that I can buy if I can. If not, I'm buying the next one down, but I'm buying something of quality. And mm-hmm. I trial ran um, uh, buying an Amazon. Well, I, I was curious, right? I'm going to go on Amazon. I'm going to buy something that's highly rated that's like $100, four season, 10, and compare it against my $1,500 North Face tent. And we're going to see. Well, I have it. If anybody wants it, I have it in Marguerite. I'll sell it. If you're listening to this, so you can come down and have it. $110. Uh, oh, dude, it was horrible. And <laughs> yeah, right. it, it, it was horrible. And I'm looking at it. I pop it up and I look. I go, oh, now I know. This is like, this will fall apart. And uh, a friend of mine took it on a winter trip with us and it just completely, all the zippers ripped like day one, like yeah. fell apart. Yeah. And I'm pretty Nobody's sure that's having a, fun. No, I'm pretty sure that's in a dump summers by now. Yeah. yeah. And that's the problem too. Like, I mean, I'm from knowing what I know about you guys, you guys are outdoors people too. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're trying, like we're in, we're in this crazy time where it's becoming so obvious that we've been doing a lot of bad things to our planet for way too long. It's like, why, why are we buy like, why do you buy, you know, 15 tents at a hundred bucks and throw them away? You know what I mean? Like every year you're buying a new tent and throwing it away. It's just ending up in the landfill. Oh, man. You, you didn't ever attend to Evolve because you're not from the East Coast. <laughs> uh, but Evolve Music Festival used to be here in Anaganish. We were just talking about driving up. And that place, if you waited Sunday afternoon, everybody left. Oh, you could clean up. Okay. Oh, yeah. It would nice. be like a sea of tents. Everybody just be yeah. right hung over and they'd be like, nah, fuck that. That's disposable this week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I used to get all my collapsible chairs from there at the end of the festival. Yeah. We used to, uh, used to see a lot of that too. Uh, down at the drag strip in Grand Bend uh, yeah. in Ontario. You go down there, Grand Bend on the weekends, long weekends for racing and yeah, all the creatures in the morning <laughs> crawling out of the tents. Yeah, that can stay here. Too lazy to pack it up. Yeah. You got to take the fire hose and wash the vomit out of it. But but yeah, you're right. It's like, you know, we uh, everything is everything is built to be disposable. And uh, yeah, it's a real shame. Real shame we treat the that that the broader consensus of people treat things that way. Yeah, know? and companies manufacture things that way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that like as generations, I mean, younger people now I think are more keenly aware of what's going on, but at the same time they've grown up in this disposable sort of culture that we're living in as well. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's they don't have anything to kind of compare it against, right? Like. Our parents, they're like, well, when you bought a washing machine, it would, you know, I still have it in the basement. It's still working, you know, and then now we got, you know, we bought a washer there not too long ago, like maybe four years ago and it's already like on its way out. And so like, oh, why? I went through two in like three years. Yeah. Um, yeah. We just bought a, uh, my dad just bought a general, uh, um, uh, what is it? A, uh, a joiner, general joiner. It was made in the seventies, I think sixties, seventies, like a wood joiner, joiner planer. And, uh, uh, those things are that that's better than any planer joiner planer you can buy for woodworking today. Oh, like, for sure. We bought it for, uh, 700 bucks from a guy that had a bigger one. And this was his second one. And he goes, you'll never like these products back in the day. Uh, were made. Had a, uh, they were they. The company had a contract with the Canadian government to supply all the tech shops in every high school across Canada. And the stipulation was when they got the contract. This is from what he told me was that these have to be fixed. The bearings, everything, have to be able to be uh, fixed with stuff off the shelves. Mm-hmm. So you can just go into any store and order just a general bearing, uh, electrical switch, whatever. Um, and uh, he's like, yeah, this thing sat in his dad's. His dad died, so he he, he sat in storage for a while. And, uh, before he listed on Kijiji, when I found it, um, yeah, he's like, I just literally went to 
Halifax and went to the hardware store and just bought the bearing, new bearings and new blades and new switch and came back and put her in and put her up for sale. Yeah. It's like, that's it. Cheap. Yeah. It's like, I think, <clears throat> I think, um, like in the U S I don't know about Canada. I don't follow it too closely, but, um, there's a lot of new right to repair legislations. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that might, the, the, the corporate culture of, manufacturing things to a different to a to a better degree might change mm-hmm. based on that yeah you know yeah um before before last year you couldn't get parts to fix you would have to buy aftermarket parts to fix your ipad or right yeah. whatever right yeah and for sure now those companies are required to provide parts and service manuals and things like that mm-hmm. um so yeah so that that culture might change yeah, for sure. I, I've been following that a bit too. It's it's pretty interesting. Um, so you look at like different classes of products. So you say like your iPhone or like a Tesla car or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, or versus like, you know, a John Deere tractor. I know like a lot of it came, I think, from the tractors because you yeah. can't you can't easily put, you know, a big tractor on a flatbed and maybe the closest deer dealership is like 300 miles away or something. Right. And so it's just not practical to do that. But when you think about say, um, you know, like a Tesla car, your, your iPhone, like, do you want to be sitting on an airplane with, uh, you know, buddy that just replaced his lithium ion battery for the first time that came from God knows where. Yeah, that's right. right. And it's like, or like out on the street when, uh, you know, buddy replaced his Tesla sensors or something and self-driving car. So, I think that that's part of the part of this part of the problem is like deciphering okay like what what products should consumers have a right to repair and to what extents and because like a lot of this technology stuff now is pretty complex or you yeah. know like especially around batteries and such so yeah I I definitely am a a huge uh, advocate for right to repair but I think that a lot of the except when up, it could take my plane down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We'll leave it at that. Anyway, it's on a tangent, but uh, yeah, I, I think right to repair is really important. Yeah, and I think, uh, and and getting back to that is like, you know, maybe if that culture changes, maybe younger people will see the value in buying things that last. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, for sure. Like this beautiful K five. Yeah, K five. Yeah, anchor. Yeah. Shit, you remember that. Wabam. In one ear at the other, man. I just, everything. I just brained that. I should have been here a year ago because we actually had uh we had a yellow one and it was called Canary Yellow. Was it? Yeah. We used to have it was DeWalt yellow. Yeah. Um this is like the Pantone color, DeWalt yellow. Anyway, um and then when we moved away from Cerakote and into powder coating, mm-hmm. the closest yellow we could get to the DeWalt yellow was like not anywhere close. (laughs) And, uh, so I was like scanning through Google, just looking at yellow things. I was like, yep, it's the exact same color as a canary. So we called it canary yellow. Sick. Sick. So, um, where can everybody find your product? Uh, on our website at tightlineanchor.com. Yep. Um, that's the easiest place and you can reach out through our website as well or through our social media channels on Instagram and Facebook. You just search for tightline anchor on there and, they can reach out, and uh, when they get talking to somebody, they're either talking to me or my business partners. Um, there's only three of us in the organization, so we do we do the floor sweeping, the shipping, the receiving, the 
customer service, the crying at the bank for more money. Do a, <laughs> <laughs> we do it all. So, um, and I think that that's, that's a really cool thing too, is with the small business thing. Like I love talking to our customers. I really do. I know like there's a lot of people that are like, Oh yeah, you know, I like customer service and stuff. I really do love hearing from our customers because every day, like I look at the anchor and there's days where you wake up and you're just like, uh, being an anchor tycoon is not all it's cracked up to be. Right. (laughs) I love that. But, uh, you know, and then you get like a, an email from a customer that's like, oh, like, thanks for throwing in the extra stickers or I love your product or, you know, like I've never used an anchor that worked better or whatever. You know what I mean? Like it just yeah. makes you feel so good because every day, like you're just so consumed with that. Like I don't see the special part of it anymore. It's like, like I want to get onto designing like the next thing, like the drag anchor or whatever. Hmm. So when we get feedback on like the old, the older stuff that we put out there, like it just, you know, yeah, it, it gives you like a, you know, a punch to the gut to like, yeah, you got to like keep going, keep going. Right? Yeah. So I love that. Well, listen, thanks for having us in your home and, uh, we'll definitely plug this anchor. Appreciate oh, it. I thought you were going to come up with a pun. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah. Well, I, I don't have one. <laughs> No, thanks for coming down. Appreciate it. Well, huge thanks to Greg and uh, a massive thanks to whoever is listening to this and listened this far. Um, after this podcast, we were on our way to Halifax for a film festival, which would be the Night of Adventure Film Festival, uh, premiering a project that I put together with friends of mine. Uh, it's kind of been in the works for the last two years called The Strawberry Run. And as I'm sitting here, it is, I believe, April 19th, or May, sorry, May 19th, and it's Friday. Uh, you can now watch the Strawberry Run online on our YouTube page. I'll put a link in the show notes. But here's a little clip of a little soundscape Jonathan put together from the Night of Adventure Film Fest when we went to Halifax. And, uh, and yeah, huge thanks to Dave for letting us premiere it, and a massive thank you to everybody and all the sponsors involved with this Um yeah, I hope you guys like it, man. Uh, and if you're interested in paddling the Marguerite or information on where to go to do a similar type trip, just reach out. We can get you sorted. Anyways, until next week, see ya. Big thanks to all the sponsors of Strawberry Run. You can see it on YouTube. And big thanks to everybody who came out to see the film and Dave Green for putting on the Film Fest and... Jan LaPierre for the sweet tunes that night. Here's a few clips that we gathered at the Film Fest. We'll see you next week. Wait, what? Wait, what? <laughs> what, what? what do you mean? What do you mean, interviewed? <laughs> Are you excited for the premiere, Ash? Yeah, I'm really excited. Like, came down to Halifax just to see these films, so looking yeah. forward to it. Use all Atlantic Canadian content, um, kind of similar to Banff, just a little bit more grassroots and, and smaller. Probably how that started originally, but um, yeah. And uh, he messaged me about a month and a half ago, and he's like, "So we need content. We need documentaries for this. Do you can you finish the Strawberry Run by April 30th?" And I'm like, "Well, yeah, 
I can't. Yeah, well, I started. I had. I kind of had a rough draft done, and then two weeks ago, I gave the whole weekend. I said I'm doing three days straight, and that's all I'm going to do and try to wrap up this this project. And Saturday night, I went to my parents' house for for dinner. Got home, sat down, looked at the project, didn't like it, and uh, scrapped it and started a brand new one that night at like midnight. And so uh, I just I just had an idea and we just I, I just redid the entire project and uh, yeah we fin- I finished it Saturday, sent the audio off to get mix and mastered and did final coloring and and a few little edits and stuff and uh, yeah it's um, comes out on Sunday premiering at this film festival. This film was directed, produced, and edited by Lee Frazier, with co-production from Annika Phillips and filming by Wes Booth from Canopy Creative. Audio mix and mastering by Brad Cormier, featuring Lee Frazier, Alec Lathorpe, Jimmy Peterson, Ashley McDonald, Logan Landry, and Wes Booth. Wow, what a lineup. We would like to thank our sponsors for making it happen, Brendan Brewing, Sea Cow Outdoors, My Home Apparel, Kiff Lab, Spin Drift Brewing. That's two brewing companies, guys. <laughs> this film is 12 minutes long and was filmed during June 2021. And this is a world premiere.